We're in 2 Peter chapter 4, or I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 4, and let's begin at verse 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. Father, we ask that you would help us as we look at this passage of scripture, that we would be able to uh, put our thoughts together and uh, follow your prescription that's given here, that our lives would reflect uh, what you're describing here for us in 1 Peter 4, that we would be willing to no longer walk in that old way, but to walk in this new way of life that you've given to us. And Father, we'll thank and praise you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at verse 2. It says that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh. This is what God wants us to do. I mean, the, the whole of our life, the moment we accept Christ as our Savior, how many of you have done that? So the moment you did that, you accepted Christ, you're saying from that point forward, God's plan is that we would not live the rest of our lives in the flesh. See how this says it? Uh, that we wouldn't spend the rest of our time out there fulfilling the things of the flesh, but instead we would learn to walk in the spirit. In our Sunday school class, we're using the Jim Berg book, Change into His Image, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Let's see how much you remember. So walking in the flesh is walking according to... Feelings. Whoa. You have to go way back to the 70s for that one. Uh, feelings. It's walking according to feelings, right? And God, so the, the idea of the flesh literally is just making up our mind about what we, what we want, what we think, what we feel about things. Uh, so Jim Berg uses this description. He says, walking in the flesh is like walking by feelings. So I've, I've had a, a, a decision to make, it's here I am. So it's like this. Um, the game's almost, you know, it's, it's just past halftime, but church starts in 17 minutes. Now, what do you feel like doing is one thing, but what does God want you to do is another. And so if we're walking in the flesh, we're going to make our decision based on what I feel like at that moment, and that's not a good way to walk. And so God says to us here, his plan is that once we accept Christ our Savior, that we're, we give up this concept of walking in the flesh. And then, of course, Jim Berg says, then walking in the spirit is making our decisions or walking, uh, basing our lives according to what? The word of God. So uh, on one side, we're going to decide our lives based on how we feel. Uh, so, you know, the scenario fits for everything. Um, I've got to react to someone who's been rude. And what do I feel like doing at that time? But I want to not walk according to the flesh. I want instead to say, but what does God's word say I should do at that time? You get the idea? Uh, it fits in any scenario. I, I, uh, I'm running late for work, and the speed limit is ridiculously low. And I need to make a decision on what I'm going to do. How do I feel versus... What does the word of God have to say? And so we're supposed, and some of these are big, serious things, and some of them are small things, but I'm going to tell you, you know, if we're in the habit of doing all of our small things on our feelings, when the big things come, it's not going to suddenly change. 
And so what God wants us to do is to adopt a new way of life, to walk in newness of life. And so that's what this is going to be talking about here as we look at this passage of Scripture. When we get to verse 3, he's going to describe uh, some of the things that come about with this fleshly living, all right? And verse 3 is, uh, it's going to be, uh, some of these things we're going to kind of um, describe to you in broad terms so that uh, little ones that are here, uh, you can deal with how you want to educate them, but uh, God's going to put things out here for us. So he says we ought not to walk in the lust of, of men, as we, in time past, but in the, by the will of God, verse 3, now it says, for the time of our, uh, for the time past of our life, may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. He's going to describe it. In our old way of life, he's, you know, like, this is the way of the Gentile. This is the way of the world. This is the way of life without Christ. And he's going to describe it. He's going to say, and in times past, this is what your life might have been going toward or might have actually looked like. And he's going to give us some descriptions here uh, in verse 3. When we walked in lasciviousness. Now, that's a, you know, a, a big word, and it... It carries with it uh, the meaning of filth and, and nasty. It, uh, if you understand the term licentious or that you feel like you have the license to, you have the right to, etc. It's that licentious living. And it's really dealing with morality. And say, so I'm trying to be broad here in my, in my uh, description of this. But you know, God says that this walking according to feelings is going to be a corrupt way of walking, and it's going to corrupt your morality. It's going to lean you toward uh, lasciviousness, uh, lusts, which is pretty uh, self-explanatory, excess of wine. Now then, you know, we'll open this can of worms for just a smidge, all right? This isn't really a lesson about wine, but uh, I'm going to just open it just a smidge, all right? There's, there's certain topics in the scripture that are always coming up for debate, constantly. I mean, like every generation brings them up to debate them over and over and over again, all right? And this is one of those. Uh, in fact, I would guess, I'm, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm guessing that sitting here, there's a, a variety of opinions on this topic. It, 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 is, uh, it is challenging, I will say, because the Bible uses the same term, wine, uh, in ways that are good and in ways that are wicked. And, and it does use that same terminology, and it does get a little bit difficult. But I want to I help you here. For those of you who stand where I stand, which is zero tolerance, all right, none. Uh, there, remember our, uh, this is, I'm getting off topic again. So remember our basic illustration of uh, black, absolutely unquestionably sinfully wrong, white, absolutely unquestionably righteously correct, and gray, all right? We have that. Where is the safe place? All right? So if, if I just simply... Here's what I absolutely know. If I never touch a drop of alcohol, I have not broken a single concept of the Scripture. Would you agree? All right, so this is an absolutely safe place to dwell. No question about it. We'll stand before God free of having to give answer to anything because it's an absolutely unquestionably safe place. But I'm going to give you even some more things, all right? Because I am tired of being on the defensive side of these arguments. Uh, these arguments come up and then Christians feel like, you know, we have to somehow get on the defense. 
And I would challenge you with this. Here's what the Bible says. If the wine is red and moves in the glass, it's a sin to look at it. So if you believe that it's okay to drink, then you, not me, you have to define what God means by that. Do you understand? Because you're not even supposed to look at it. Here's what the Bible says. Wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging. And those that are deceived by it, see, they're the ones that have something to deal with. My position is absolutely safe. No question. And I'm not going to be defensive about it anymore. You know what? You have to deal with this one. You've got to figure out, okay, what does God mean by this? Because there is a wine that you can't even look at in the scripture. Woe unto the man that giveth his neighbor strong drink. And can I tell you when God uses the word woe, how important it is? Go to the book of Revelation. God says, woe, woe, woe unto the world. And a giant rock, wormwood, falls from the sky and kills a third of the people. Woe is a big deal in the scripture. And God says, woe unto the man that giveth his neighbor strong drink. You, you get the idea? I, I have, my position is 100% defensible. So you guys have to deal with this. So here's what it says. If you're going to walk according to the way you feel, then wine's going to be a part of your existence. You've got to deal with it. I don't. But you're going to have to deal with it. So... We can't, we got to stop. He says, stop using the old way of life as the basis, as the foundation for the way you're living. He says to us here, I saved you for a reason. So you quit walking this direction and walk in a new direction. Not according to the Gentile way, but according to the will of God. So lusts and excessive wine, revelings and, um, excuse me, i got to get a drink. Revelings is not that uh, hard to understand in our, um, in our day and age. Uh, in our day and age, it would be the concept of partying. Do you understand all the terminology that goes with that? I'm not, I'm trying to be broad, but it's, revelings is, to, to have this reveling is to throw caution to the wind. It is to to, um, to totally give, surrender yourself to your feelings. And you can imagine what that's going to look like. You know, we have, I think I can use some of this terminology in ways that it'll protect our little ones. So that the whole LBGT, QRS, PUV fits into this, into this uh, concept over here, right? It is basing my way of life on how I feel, right? I'm not denying the, the way they feel. I'm not. Because you know how I feel? I feel just like they feel in other areas. I feel like my flesh wants to go this way, and my flesh wants to go this way. My, that's all they're saying is this is what my flesh wants to do, all right? I understand that concept, but I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I don't live my life according to the way I feel anymore. So the argument's off the table within Christianity. Outside of Christianity, the argument doesn't need to be had because it's about the gospel. It's not about getting people to stop sinning. It's about getting people to trust Christ. Do you understand? 
So you get somebody to stop sinning, it doesn't save them. They don't get to heaven just because they quit smoking. I don't want people to smoke, but if somebody quits smoking, it only makes me smell better. It doesn't make them go to heaven. So my goal is not to get people to stop sinning. My goal is to get people to trust Christ. But as Christians, we're empowered by the Spirit of God to walk in newness of life. And we don't base our life on how we feel. And when we do, throwing caution to the wind and living the partying lifestyle and everything goes and there's really no parameters, that's a dangerous place to be. And it comes into play when we are following this old way of life. So revelings, uh, banquetings, and is just what it sounds like. What do you think of when you think of banqueting? Eating and eating and eating incessantly. And all of the things that goes with it, you know, uh, it, it's just, it's that concept. Uh, it, it, you know, does God, does God want me as a Christian to live a life that is disciplined? Now, does God care if I eat homemade ice cream? No. Does God care if I, yeah, I better hope not. Does God care if I eat homemade ice cream 24, you know, 24 hours every day? Uh, does God care if I indulge my desire for homemade ice cream all of the time? Yes, because God's idea is that I would embrace a disciplined lifestyle, and it fits in everywhere. How about, uh, and abominable idolatries. What is idolatry? What is an idol? Okay, anything that we put before God, anything that we raise up higher than God. So, by the way, if we go back to our initial illustration of, uh, of watching the game, and you choose to stay home and watch the game over going to church, if I can be so bold, you, what you're choosing is to put something, you're saying the game is more important than being obedient to the scripture. Right? I'm not the one saying it, so your argument isn't with me. Uh, it is with God. So it's as simple as that. It's anything that we put before God. Can... I keep harping on it because it is a constant problem. Put it down. It's church. But I can't, Pastor. You don't understand. I might lose my points. I might miss my place. I might... Somebody might take the lead. Yeah, you're right. Somebody might. God might actually take the lead in our lives. Wouldn't that be weird? This is what we're supposed to do. We don't live this way. We're not making our decisions based on what I think, what I want, what I feel. We're basing our decisions on the will of God. And so all of these things come into play. Wherein they think it's strange. Now listen. Wherein they think it's strange that ye run not with them. To the same, uh, let's see, to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Guess what? The world is laughing at us. Aren't you glad? <laughs> the world is laughing at us. They think it's strange. Who? What kind of person are you? Did what on Sunday night? Didn't you know that it was Super Bowl Sunday? You did what again? They think it's strange that we live our lives differently than this concept. Now, I, hear me, please. 
if nobody thinks we're strange, we probably have a problem. Would you agree? If nobody's looking at us sideways, why not? Because the Bible says that people are going to think it's strange that we've quit living our lives based on what we think, what we feel, what we want, that we're living our lives now under a new standard. You know, hear me out. Getting saved is a wonderful thing. But the idea of getting saved gives me the freedom to do whatever I want is a misnomer. That's not in the scripture. When God saves us, he actually raises the standard higher than before because the expectation now that we are empowered by the spirit of God, there's an expectation that we'll be up here. Let me show you. I'll prove it to you. Jesus said this way. He said, you have heard it say, said in old days, the, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You have heard it said in old days, thou shalt not kill. You have heard it said in old days, thou shalt not steal. Remember that? In Je Remember Jesus going through this conversation? You've heard it said in old days, thou shalt not commit adultery. And he says, thou shalt not kill, but I say unto you, if you say reka to your brother, you're in danger of hell's fire. In other words, just your attitude is being held the standard. He says, you heard it said in old days, don't commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery already in your heart. God says, listen, I didn't empower you for nothing. And I'm going to empower you and then have an expectation that you're going to access that power to live a new life a different life, so that everybody's looking at you and saying, what's wrong with that guy? Everybody thinks it's strange that we don't follow after the same excess of riot, that we're not involved with these things over here, that we're going a different direction. And so, you know, Peter's trying to teach us something here. He's like, listen, we're not called upon to walk the way people used to walk. So here's what he wants to do. Now we're going to, now I want some conversation, all right? This is 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul, or Peter, is describing this lifestyle. Licentious, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Let me ask you something. As you go through the list, licentious, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, abominable idolatries, uh, what did it say, excess of riot, um, which of these do we not find here? in 21st century America. In fact, um, being gracious and careful because we do have little ones here, tell me please, um, where, do you see, where do you see revelings and banquetings? Help me. TV and movies. Hard to, hard to watch something on television, hard to watch a movie that hasn't embraced this whole way of life right over here. And, you know, hear me, okay, hear me. I've got a television. I'm not against television. TV is, a television is just a thing. It can be used righteously. It can be used wickedly. It's a thing. I've got a t I'm not against this. But I am saying to you that if we think we're going to pump our minds full of garbage, you know, there's an old adage, garbage in, garbage out, right? It, it, 
it's biblical, it's a biblical principle, but, you know, your grandmother taught it to you, garbage in, garbage out, garbage in, garbage out. We, we simply cannot have a diet of this banqueting, reveling life and expect that our life looks uniquely different to everybody. What's another place where we see this, Jonathan? Oh, uh, have you been to those places, Jonathan? <laughs> we need to talk after. Um, so Rio, the Carnival, all right? I, I'm not even going to encourage you to go Google the Carnival. It's wicked beyond wicked. I, I mean, it's wicked beyond wicked. It is, it is Fat Tuesday in Louisiana times two, times five, times ten. It is wicked. And already... You know, what takes place in Louisiana, what's it called again? Mardi Gras. Already, we already know how wicked. And by the way, if you don't know why you should not wear Mardi Gras beads, then would you listen to an old pastor? You need to learn something before you put them on. Because if you're, or if you're letting your kids wear Mardi Gras beads, you need to stop and learn something before you do this, because it means wicked things. And do not, do not let, it's not a cute decoration. It's not. There's nothing cute about it. It's wicked. So learn some things. and that's, So I, I'm talking now, before I was your pastor, so it's more than 30 years ago. All right, I'm going to try to be careful in my description. I was, I was working as a youth pastor part-time, and I was working for an, uh, an insurance company. We insured bank loans, and they flew me to, to Florida. Me and a co-worker went to Florida uh, to uh, Fort Lauderdale where we were supposed to go meet with our clients. And um, so it, we're, we're literally staying at a hotel on the beach, and it happens to be just about this time of year, maybe a couple weeks earlier. You see where, what, I'm, what I'm going, all right? So that's spring break. You get the idea? We're driving to the hotel, and I'm not making this up, a hairy, overweight guy is wearing a leopard skin thong. That's it. And that was the first thing I saw, and that's been 34 years ago. I have no clue what it's like today. I, I've never been back. I have no clue what it's like today. Uh, I, I'm just going to say to you that if you think you're going to let your kids go on spring break to Florida, you're nuts. Let me be. You're nuts. Grow up here because they're going to. They're going to grow up big time in Florida. You're nuts. Nothing good is happening there. It's not. It's that party. It's it's this lifestyle over here, which leads to, you know, no holds barred, take off all the restraints. I want to live my life however I want. That's what's being described over here, and it is the 21st century. So help me here. I want to finish up this lesson real quickly in about three minutes. So, a few weeks back on Wednesdays we did principle verses. Do you remember those principle verses? They are verses that apply to broad areas of our lives. They don't just have one specific truth. In other words, one specific truth would be like, husbands, love your wives. 
That's pretty specific, right? But sometimes God gives us a principle verse, which has a broad... So give me, please, a principle verse that helps me let go of this and embrace this new life that God has for me. Share one. Okay, so Romans 13, 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision. Don't make it easy. Don't make it possible. Don't plan for opportunities to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. This is why I say you're nuts for letting your kids go on spring break to Florida. Because you are literally giving them opportunity to fulfill, you're planning it, to fulfill the lust of the flesh. What we do is we put up fences and barriers and we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a great one. Give me a couple more. Abstain from all appearance, but 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, 18, is it 5, 18? 20, one of those in there. Uh, abstain from the very, is it the very appearance of evil? Is it the very appearance? All appearance, abstain from all appearance of evil. We shouldn't even give somebody the, the concept that we're over here. Well, I'm going to go to the beach, but I'm going to wear my uh, suit next to the guy in the leopard skin. I'm not against the beach either. I'm just saying that you've got to pick your beaches. I, I'm being very serious. You, know, you understand? Fort Lauderdale, spring break, bad idea. And by the way, that guy was like in his 40s. Can you imagine sending your teenagers to Fort Lauderdale with 40-year-old hairy men? <laughs> Well, no, he was hairy like I'm hairy. <laughs> yeah. No, it wasn't, it was, wasn't pretty. Uh, so, yeah, we're supposed to abstain from the very appearance of evil. Give me a couple more. 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says, Are passed away, behold, all things are become new. Let the old things pass away. All things. That's pretty blanket, right? It's not specific. It's pretty blanket. Principal verse, somebody. Whether I eat, drink, or whatsoever I do, do all to the glory of God. When I do something to the glory of God, it drags me away from this side of the equation and forces me into this side of the equation. Devin. Let what I, that's in, that's in uh, Psalm 14, or 1914, Psalm 1914. Yeah, Psalm 1914. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my, heart, of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So whatever I'm saying and whatever I'm thinking about, Lord, let it be acceptable. You see how that begins to drag me away from this. I'm going to only say the things that are acceptable. I'm only going to think about the things that are acceptable in thy sight. And it drags me away from this into this new way of living. Give me two more. Brian. Let not sin therefore reign in your... By the way, can I just show you this? That is a choice, right? It's up to you. You choose. Now, you've been empowered by God. Prior to Christ, you couldn't make a choice. You were, you were bound to sin. You were under sin's dominion. But we're no longer under sin's domination. Now we have a choice. But as Christians, we can choose. Are we going to let sin reign in our mortal bodies? Or are we going to let not sin reign in our mortal bodies? Okay, give me one more for the top. Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable. And by the way, it uses the same terminology here. And perfect, what's the word? Will of God. And did you hear what it says in verse, three, verse uh, 2? It says that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. See that? Isn't that great? It's, this isn't easy because this is, where, this is our comfort zone over here. This is the way we're used to living. This, this is the way we were without Christ. This is the way everybody else is living. This is the way that people don't look at us and think we're strange. This is the comfort zone over here. It's not the easy route. It's, this is the broad way, and many there be that enter. This is the straight and narrow. It's not easy. It's worth it. It's not easy. But we're empowered to do so. And our lives ought to reflect this, and that's what Peter's telling the believers here. Quit walking like a Gentile and walk in the power of Christ. Heads bowed, eyes closed, please.